Hello and welcome to the After Dinner Podcast. My name is Jay Swords and this is the podcast extension of ROI Show 520. Our guest today is Emily Temple, author and managing editor at Literary Hub. We're going to be talking about the 32 most iconic poems in the English language. Our history buff today is Brett Menard. Brett, start us off. So we talked about this a little in the broadcast version, but there's lots of poets on here for whom you could have chosen any number of individual works. You talked about how you chose Frost. How did those other conversations go? Were, were, was it variations on a theme? Was it, were they similar conversations or was each one more unique? I mean, they're similar in some ways where it's difficult because when you're assessing cultural ubiquity, and you're assessing this sort of watery idea of how, you know, which poem is more iconic. I mean, I'm thinking of William Carlos Williams, which poem is more iconic, the red wheelbarrow, or this is just a set. I think both are pretty iconic. In that case, I don't want to say I chose the wrong one, but the red wheelbarrow is, I actually had, had done this myself. I, went through every anthology that every poetry anthology that I could find and counted up the most anthologized poems, just the poems that appear the most times in all the printed anthologies that I could find a table of contents for. And William Carlos Williams, the red wheelbarrow was the most anthologized poem that I found of all of every poem. But this is just to say I have eaten the plums that were in the ice box, which you were probably saving for breakfast. Forgive me, they were delicious. So sweet and so cold <laughs> has been parodied everywhere many sure. times. That framework has been used so much that it feels more naturally iconic to me. Um, but in that case, it was it was sort of the hard data of, well, this is a poem that everyone is including in their poetry anthology. So it's iconic um, that pushed that one over the edge. So we've talked about the ones that were included. Were there ones that, that were really close that you didn't, you know, or, you know, that weren't doubles because obviously you could have picked lots of ones for, for the folks that you did, but was there somebody who got left out that was sort of to use the NCAA bracket terminology, who was one of the first one or two left one or two out instead of the last one or two in? There aren't any that I left out on purpose, <laughs> but there are some that I wish I had included, and the truth is uh, we forgot them. One of them is Ode on a Grecian Urn. We have Yeats, but not Keats, I believe. This is what happens when you're just everyone is relying on their memories and their various fields of expertise is that things get lost. So that's one that would have been on there had I remembered it in time. <laughs> but, you know, because it's the Internet, there was actually no limit. We weren't shooting for 32, particularly. There were no hard tiers that anybody got cut, which, you know, is, is good and bad. We were limited by, you know, the bounds of respectability. Like at some point you just, the day ends and you have to go home and then your list is done. The, the deadline hits and that's the end. Right. It's <laughs> right. It's five o'clock. It's time to publish. You, like, <laughs> you got 32. Great. <laughs> just as kind of a follow-up, 
because this is a website, did you have commentary coming back in once this was published? Did you have any outcry from, from the audience or do you guys not do that sort of thing? There is commentary. And yes, in fact, as always with a list like this, and I extend an invitation in my introduction for people to add the iconic poems that we've missed and to keep the list going. There are more than 32 iconic poems. You know, this is what we came up with. And what have you come up with, people who are reading? And plenty of people in the comments jumped in to add. And plenty of people also jumped in to tell us how dumb we are. But that's how the Internet works. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But I would imagine that's got to be awfully fun for you guys as well to look at those and, again, continue that debate. You know, oh, gosh, I I wish I had thought of that or, wow, that's really horrible. I can't believe anybody. I mean, you know, that's part of the fun, isn't it? Of course. And that's how, you know, and that's how I remembered. Oh, don't agree here. Ah, right. Of course. Whoops. Yes, you're right. Random commenter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, and that is one of the fun things. And and I I do a lot of lists for LitHub and I really like hearing what other people have, because I mean, at the end of the day, it's this is what it's about sharing what you've read and finding out what other people have read and getting told you're wrong. You know, that's, that's what it's all about. It's fun. CJ, you you totally stole my question because I was going to ask what her favorite piece of hate mail from this, uh, list was oh, so a lot of people were really really angry about the offhanded comment about saying that um the list was too old and white and male and really it was just a way to sort of like slide us into getting to suggest some more contemporary and more random poems that i didn't have a good argument for them being iconic but people were angry <laughs> about that and also, oh, Where? that's another. I'm just looking at them now. Digging by Seamus Haney. Oh, that's a good one. Should be on there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, so, so, and it's the internet, so you can't really know. Did did it feel like a lot of the people with that particular uh, complaint to your offhanded remark were English professors who might also be old, white, and male? I was going to say, were you going to say old, <laughs> white, and male? <laughs> Uh, you'd have to imagine so. I, you know, it. I feel like it's a pretty like the breadcrumbs are pretty obvious for why. Like you know, all the poems that we all read in school that are old poems that you know are written by white men, and it's not as serious a condemnation as these people seem to think. But and you have to admit, yeah, you have to imagine they're taking it personally for some reason. So along the lines of old English professors, uh-huh. for for most of us. Our introduction or what what we what you hear about, you know, what gets talked about with poetry is particularly love poems. And while I do not know all of the poems that are on your list here, I'm going to have to go do some reading. It seems to me that most of them do not fall in the category of love poems. Uh, some of them are very much not love poems. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm just curious, why do you think the public tends to associate poetry with love poems in particularly, but when we start talking about what's iconic, it rarely seems to be that. That's a really interesting question. I think Shakespeare did a lot to make, to influence our idea of the love poem um, with his sonnets. Those are love poems that a lot of people do study in school. I don't know about you, but I I was required to take at least one Shakespeare class, you know. 
you know, shall I compare these to a summer's day? That's a pretty uh, a classic one. Ten Things I Hate About You, fine film. Includes Shakespeare sonnets as, as love poems. Um, but again, I think a lot of what makes these poems on this list iconic is the way that they are reused in different kinds of pop culture. And I wonder, and this is, I'm just, you know, thinking off the cuff here, if love poems are not as fun to reuse in different contexts. I mean, thinking about Ozymandias and Breaking Bad, Kublai Khan and Citizen Kane, do not go gentle into that good night in all the movies, in every movie. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, there's something about the drama of them that is more like a overarching human. I mean, not that love isn't an overarching human feeling, but there's something even bigger about some of these poems. I mean, it's not it's not love. It's death. Right. A lot of the poems are about death. What other lists? Are you currently uh, compiling? Is there a forthcoming list of the most overrated poems or <laughs> least recognized? I'm thinking of things that, you know, could, could poke the bear a little and drive pat traffic to uh, to the site. You know, overrated is a good idea. <laughs> I always get, you know, <laughs> going negative always works. <laughs> um <laughs> It's funny because this is actually an older list and it remains popular. People are really interested in it. It is consistently one of the most viewed pieces every month and it was published four years ago. So clearly I should I should have some more poem lists in, in the hopper here. I'm working on a, a ranked list of the best film adaptations of books, which is becoming a monstrosity. <laughs> uh, I have to tell you, <laughs> it's becoming extremely difficult. But I've decided to exclude Shakespeare adaptations entirely, so that's whew, right. a load off. There you go. <laughs> I, I get the honor of asking the last question. I have to ask it about a poem, uh, one of the poems on your list that maybe I have read and don't remember any longer but it's Marianne Moore's poetry. And I loved the, the little commentary that you had that says the fact that it starts out with hating poetry has made it a favorite among school children of all ages. Um, can you talk a little bit about that poem? I'm, I, it just doesn't ring in my memory, but I sure love the idea of any poem that starts out bashing the form that you're writing in. There's got to be something to that. Yes. I mean, that's sort of a personal, just a, when I say, a favorite among school children of all ages. I mean myself. <laughs> yes, it, the poem is called Poetry, and it starts, I too dislike it. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is just a genius way to begin a poem. <laughs> and I feel like I'm going to use the like general we. I mean, we think about poetry as that it's like official and staid and stodgy somehow, especially, you know, when you think of, I don't know if ever, everybody else has visual of Marianne Moore with her cape and her tricorn hat, which she wore in, you know, in these pictures. She looks very serious, but she's not. She's this modernist poet and she has a sense of humor. 
she's able to sort of poke fun, but also she's sort of saying how it feels to read the poem. I mean, the, the stanza, it goes on. I too, it says, it's, I too dislike it. There are things that are important beyond all this fiddle. <laughs> Reading it, however, with a perfect contempt for it, one discovers that there is in it, after all, a place for the genuine. Hands that can grasp, eyes that can dilate, hair that can rise, but must. It eases you into this. You feel this person is on your side. Marianne Moore was born in 1887. It feels so contemporary. It feels mm-hmm. so ageless to have that kind of conversation with someone. Poetry, I too dislike it. But there's something in it, right? You know, you, re- you really feel that. And so I think that is something that a lot of these poems have in common, that they feel timeless. They feel like they could have been written today. They can speak to anyone, anywhere, even people who dislike poetry. Well, and I am endlessly amazed as an as an author myself with those those books or poems or whatever that come up with the perfect short opening. Mm-hmm. Shirley Jackson has probably my favorite opening of paragraph of any book in in English literature. But, you know, I'm just always amazed and and you're right. That's one of those perfect openings. Who doesn't want to keep reading after reading that? Exactly. Well, wait, but what's your what's your favorite Shirley Jackson opening paragraph? Oh, the, from uh, Haunting of Hill House, where nothing sane uh, can exist without, what, sleep and, and on and on. And it's just, it's for a short little novel and a great horror novel that doesn't, that, that never once shows you any gore. Um, it's completely mm-hmm. psychological. It is the perfect psychological start. You read that first paragraph and you go, oh, crap, something's really not right with this place. And now I have to find out what it is. And I'm just so amazed when people can do that, or Stephen King has at the beginning of The Shining a great foreword that I won't use because he's got a, a naughty word in there, but it just immediately sets the tone, and, and I'm so impressed by, by doing that, and I know it's a little bit of a lightning in a bottle thing because you know even the authors can't do it time after time after time, um, so you know I think that's one of the things where poetry and prose share something. Absolutely. I mean, to be fair, Shirley Jackson could do it time after time. I asked which Shirley Jackson because I have written an argument for the first paragraph of We Have Always Lived in the Castle. Yeah, scene. which is such a cool, <laughs> another such a cool book. <laughs> yeah. I, I so love that book. And it, and again, she is the master of, I'm going to do it to you short and sweet. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm yeah, only going yeah, to give you a couple, you know, 120 pages or whatever, but it, by the time I'm done, you're going to be perforated. It's absolutely perfect. It's amazing. Everything you need, nothing you don't. Just like a good poem. Right, exactly. And I wish we had more time. I wish we really did could talk about, you know, the what makes a quality poem and all of that. Um, but unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap this up. Uh, we'd like to thank our guest for the 520th show, Emily Temple, author and managing editor at Literary Hub. We've been talking about the 32 most iconic poems in the English language. The history buff today was Brett Menard. ROI can be found at 9.30 p.m. on Friday nights on KALA Radio or on the web at TuneIn.com. If you're looking for older programs, you can find them at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find nearly a decade of ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all of your favorite streaming platforms. ROI is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.